I want to ask you some questions. To, I mean, I'd love to give you loads of time to think about these questions, but we haven't got loads of time for me to think about these questions. But I want you to think about these. I want you to tell me, what was the greatest cost you personally ever paid to help somebody? What was the greatest cost you personally ever paid to help somebody? I'm not asking what was the most expensive, benevolent act you ever performed. I'm not asking that question. I'm asking to you what was the most costly thing you have ever done to reach out to somebody. The most costly thing you've ever done to reach out to somebody. What was the most humiliating thing you ever did to help somebody? Think about that one. I'm struggling. Sometimes I'm absolutely struggling with my own questions here. What was the most unselfish thing you ever did to help somebody else? Unselfish. What is the most prolonged sacrifice, prolonged, you've ever made to help somebody? Is it true and is it common for you to pay great personal prices to help somebody out? Does that describe the person that you are? Not to the guys in here, but to people out there. If somebody said to me, well, you describe Rick to me. Sometimes I'm a bit frightened of the answer, to be honest with you. I'm I'm being honest, I'll be frightened sometimes of the answer. Am I that sort of person that goes miles out to help somebody else? Unselfishly, it might cost me something to go and reach out to somebody. Is that me? Does that describe you? See, I can't imagine ever leaving an existence in heaven with God to assume the life of a human being upon earth. I can't get that. To leave that, to come down here. In the realm that the Son of God left, There were no physical needs because it is not a physical world. See, my specific understanding of heaven, where God is, there's no hunger. There's no thirst. There's no discomfort. There's no fear. There's no weakness. There's no weariness. There's no sadness. There's no pain. There's no grief. That's my comprehension of what heaven is. There's none of that. The only realm that has hunger, thirst, discomfort, weakness, weariness, sadness, pain, grief, or death, is an earthly existence. That's where it is. See, I thought long and hard about how a way I could create insights into Jesus' sacrifices, to think about his sacrifices, to present those sacrifices in a way that penetrated comprehension, to get into my head, to understand his sacrifices. So I didn't want to do the sermon today just to be a bit like a preacher building tea talk or a sermon. I didn't want that. I want you to get in here and in here for us today. I want you to consider your right, like your right now lifestyle, where you're at now, your lifestyle, where you are now in your life. Would you consider? Completely leaving your right now, where you are, lifestyle, taking absolutely nothing with you. Today, I'm asking you, you're going to leave this building, right? Your right life, your right now lifestyle. Taking nothing with you but your knowledge. You're going to take your knowledge with you, the clothes you've got on your back now, and become a peasant in a remote area of China. 
in a remote area of Africa, in a remote area of India. I'm asking you now. If you did that, if you did that decision now, you'd live without electricity. You wouldn't own a car. Your housing would be primitive by any standard. There'd be no plumbing. You'd do all your travelling on foot. All your work would be physical work by done by primitive tools. You wouldn't have the drill. You wouldn't have any of that. No electricity. Your only source of water uh, for cooking, should I say, and washing yourself would either be from a, a, a stream or a drainage ditch. There'd be no medical treatment. There'd be no medicines. You never, ever would have any spare cash. And the money you have would barely feed your family. Barely feed your family. You would not average one day a month having food to eat. I remember as a child, this is, this is very lightly here, that we were poor, but we, in one way we were. I, I lived on sometimes bread and ketchup. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because that's all we had was bread, and it wasn't exactly fresh bread, and ketchup, because that was the only thing in the cupboard. Okay? So, I, I, but can you imagine not having enough money to feed your family? And I know some of your heritage, your family backgrounds, and you've come from countries which are still going through some of this now. They haven't got all that. They haven't got enough to live on. See, you would have no privacy. You'd have no freedom. You'd have no hope of changing anything. Your life expectancy would be 40 years. I know some of us are over that. Okay, okay. <laughs> 60 years ago. And if you live that long, whatever age you are now, you'll be considered an old man. You might feel it, but you'll be considered an old man. That's what you'll be considered. If you're 40 and below, bless you. But if you'll be considered an old man, there will be no creature comforts. Each day's basic issue would be your physical survival. Every morning you would wake up with no assurance that you would actually live to the end of the day. No aid, no NHS, they wouldn't be there. You would have no choice of jobs, you probably wouldn't have a job at all. Okay? The only power that you would have is your knowledge and people feed your knowledge. That's all you've got is your knowledge. Can you imagine making that choice deliberately? Would you make that choice deliberately? Would you make it consciously? With total awareness, would you do that right now? No. No. Okay, would you do it for a week? Do you know what? I'll be thinking, do you know what? I could perhaps do that for a week. Because some, some, some of us have been camping in the past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? But could you consider leaving the existence, what your right line lifestyle, what I've just said, and doing that for a week? Do you know what? You'd probably say to yourself, I could do a week. Could you do a month? Could you do six months? Could you do a year? Could you do it for the rest of your life? Could you do it for the rest of your life? If you made that choice, if you made it, and the sacrifices that you made were compared to the sacrifices that Jesus did when he came to this earth, in comparison, your sacrifices would not even fit on the point of a pin when compared to Jesus' sacrifices. 
See, I struggled as I looked for illustrations for how low Jesus stooped to help people. Now, no, I didn't struggle because there were so there were many. I struggled because there were so many. There were so many. So I decided to choose three men and three women. The three men. The first is Matthew. Jesus selected Matthew to be one of the twelve people to fill an unusual, unique role on earth. Matthew collected taxes, as we know, from the Roman government, and we know the tax system was extremely corrupt. We know that. A wealthy man could actually buy the right from the Roman government to collect the taxes in that region, the region of the Roman Empire. You could do that. You paid to collect it. Anything he collected above the government's assessment was his profit, as we know. The people he hired to collect the taxes, it would be exactly the same thing. He'd pay them a wage, but they'd put a bit, a bit more on, so they'd have a bit of profit as well. Tax collectors, as we know, commonly abused their position to make money. Everybody regarded a tax gatherer as a thief. But Israelites, who worked for the Roman government, who collected taxes, were considered traitors to the nation of Israel. You're a traitor for working with the enemy. The Apostle Matthew worked as a tax collector before Jesus invited him to be his disciple. The second man is the leper mentioned in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. Has anybody actually seen anybody with leprosy? What's it like? What are they um, like? I was in Kenya in December 92 um, with the church, and they fed a hundred people who had. Um, leprosy and similar things in the century. Uh, uh, I was there. And Martin was there as well. <laughs> he was in the church in Nairobi. Not nice to look at. The bits of his fingers missing, is your nose missing, or bits of the digits missing. Or you lost a toe or something like that. No, they have no feeling. So sometimes if there's no feeling, you get injuries and you get deformities from those injuries. You don't know what's going on, do you? I can't imagine you guys have seen that. But what about the guy in the scriptures here? So, um, and we know that back then that Israel had strict laws against leprosy. Yeah, remember that? Yeah? Uh, a, le- a leper could not live among the, the, the population of the people. Couldn't do that. Wasn't allowed. In fact, you could not touch anything a leper touched. Yeah? Okay? A leper had to warn people approaching, I'm a leper, don't come anywhere near me. They had to kind of verbally shout that out, that I'm a leper, so people could avoid them. Yeah? This leper came to Jesus, he bowed before him and said, You can cleanse me if you want to. And Jesus touched him and said, I'm willing. And Jesus immediately destroyed that man's leprosy. When was the last time that guy had anybody touch him? When did anybody come and touch him before Jesus? But Jesus touched him. The third man is one of the two thieves who died beside Jesus at the crucifixion. Matthew chapter 27 verse 44 indicates that at some point in the crucifixion they kind of insulted Jesus on the cross. Luke chapter 23 verse 39 to 43 goes into a great deal of detail. I'm not going to do that today. At some point in the agony and the pain of that crucifixion, one thief said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And at the other point, at that particular point, the other three rebuked this man 
and ask him, did he not fear God and acknowledge that he they kind of deserved their crucifixion, but Jesus had done nothing wrong. Then he made this incredible request of Jesus, as we know, that reflected an understanding that few Jews had. Few Jews had. Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus promised that day that he would be with him in paradise. Jesus promised him the thief on the cross. Can you imagine Jesus making that promise to a thief who was being executed for his crimes? Can you imagine that? The three women. One had a hemorrhage for 12 years in Luke 8 verse 43 to 48. The Jewish law said that she was unclean and she should not be in physical contact with anybody. And that comes from Leviticus chapter 15 verse 19 to 30. It states that. Though she was a woman and though she was forbidden to have physical contact with people, she knew if she walked through that crowd and she touched Jesus' clothing, her hemorrhaging would stop. She knew that. She did and Jesus felt the power leaving. In the middle of all the pushing, all the shoving in that crowd, he said, who touched me? And she was terrified. In terror, she explained that she touched him. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The second woman is the immoral woman in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Jesus was invited for a meal in the Pharisees' home. The immoral woman, like a prostitute, that's what we probably think she was, came invited into the house, to the place where the meal was being served, and what did she do? She touched Jesus. Everything she did was strictly forbidden. She touched Jesus. She shouldn't do it. She washed with her tears his feet. She shouldn't do it. She anointed his feet. She shouldn't do it. She kissed his feet. She shouldn't do it. She let her hair down in public to wipe his feet. She shouldn't have done it. The Pharisee said to Jesus, if you knew what kind of woman she is, you would not allow her to touch you. Jesus knew what he was thinking and proved to him that he knew exactly who who she was and what she was. And what she did was superior to what the Pharisees did. But did Jesus tell the woman, your sins have been forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. My third woman is a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John 4. Jesus was alone with this woman when the conversation occurred. He did several things that simply were not done, were not proper to do. He started the conversation off. Shouldn't do that. Jewish men were not to have conversations with Samaritan women. And men were not to speak publicly with women. Jesus asked her for a drink and his request astounded her. She responded by asking, what's happening? What's all this about? And Jesus, as we know, offered a living water that produced eternal life. Before that conversation, before he offered a living water, Jesus knew that she was five times divorced and was living with a man who she was not married to. He knew that. Incredibly, she did something perhaps only the Apostle Peter did. She recognised Jesus as the Christ. I want you to consider... 
Jesus' interaction with these six people. Those six people. Then ask yourselves, how low does Jesus stoop? How low does he stoop? Then I want you to let Jesus answer that question. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Let, let Jesus answer how low. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 to 13. And it reads, And it happened that he was, as he was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees saw this and they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's Jesus' answer. The Pharisees said that Jesus associated with people that God obviously condemned. Obviously condemned. And he went far too far when he stooped to help these people. He absolutely should not reach out to tax gatherers and sinners. Shouldn't he have Jesus? Their condemnation of Jesus was very judgmental and it was very critical. And Jesus gave the statement in answer. The people who need a doctor are the sick people. The Pharisees needed to understand that the prophet Hosea's point when he said to the Israelites, God considered compassion to be more important than worship. In Hosea chapter 6 verse 6, that's what it says. Jesus' mission was to call sinners, as we're coming to an end now. Turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Jesus' answer reminds me of Paul's statement here. Paul's statement. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it reads, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, that in me, as a foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Before he was a Christian, Paul was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an aggressively violent man. That's who Paul was in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Says that. Jesus stooped. He forgave this enemy and made him the greatest cross-cultural missionary this world has ever, ever known. I want to ask a question and make an observation. I'll ask you a question. Is this what the community of Christians at the Birmingham Church of Christ is all about? Is that who we are all about here? Is our commitment here 
the same as Jesus' commitment. You see? What opportunity exists in our congregation for thieves? Men and women who are social outcasts. Prostitutes who turn to Jesus. What opportunity exists for them here? My observation is, no matter where you are or what is happening in your life, do you know what? Jesus can help you. Amen. Amen.